we back in this thing like we left something. Thank you for returning and joining me for this week's episode of I Got a Story to Tell. This is episode 19. If you've been sticking with me that long, I appreciate you. If you've missed some episodes, go back and check them out. Y'all know how we do. Before we get started and before we get to the story, I always got to give someone their flowers. Um, this this week's is a little different. Um, I know usually I give flowers to um, people who, you know, are still here. This week I want to give flowers to my younger brother who's no longer here. Andrew, I love you. I miss you. Rest in peace. And with that being said, I got a story to tell. Let's go. This week's story actually takes place over a period of time to get to the final story or the final ending point of the complete story. But it starts in the fall of 1983. I am five years old and I'm in kindergarten at Mount Airy Elementary. I remember and I know that it's 1983 because earlier that year we had moved across the street in the Fay Apartments on President Drive, 3986 President Drive. And the day we moved was the day of Motown 25 being shown on TV. For those who don't know, that was the day the iconic Michael Jackson did the moonwalk on television. That's also the day that my sister punched Richard Metcalf, God rest his soul, in the face for calling her a bitch. And that was the day I knew my sister wasn't scared of a lot of shit. And that's a story for another episode. But, 1983. I'm five years old. This day was the start of this story. My mother came home from work and she came home a little later than normal. She walks in and she sits down in this chair we have in the living room. It's like a champagne colored chair. I'm already downstairs and my brother and my sister are upstairs. My mother comes in, she sits down, she takes her shoes off. She says, Trina, Kevin, come here. They come downstairs. My brother sits on the couch and my sister's standing. And my mother just gets right to it. And I'm sitting next to her. I'm on the floor, but I'm sitting next to the chair where she's sitting. And she gets right to it and she says, y'all, I'm sick and I may die. And I'm like, huh? She says, I have a disease called sarcoidosis and the doctors have given me six to nine months to live. As a five-year-old, I'm trying to make sense of what I've just been told 
my mother didn't she was one of those people she's not going to dance around she's not going to hit you with a bunch of fluff sugar coat however you say it she's not going to tiptoe she's going to get right to it like she's real direct with shit right and that's what she did and now now i'm five years old who you know a five-year-old who hasn't had a lot of time with his mother and I'm trying to make sense of this shit. My brother, he starts crying, rightfully so. Like crying where you're making a noise, like, like that. And my sister's crying and making noise. I just have tears rolling down my face and I'm confused. My mother then goes on to start explaining to us, hey, if and when this happens, you all will live with your Aunt Joe and your Uncle Paris. Like, she's giving us the game plan, right? That's that's just how my mother was. So, I'm five years old. Not really understanding. I know what death is. Um, but I'm trying to make sense of it. So as a five-year-old, after she tells us that and we're all around her, you know, hugging on her, loving on her. And I find myself as a five-year-old trying to measure time, measure months and days and seeing, okay, how long I got with my mother? I got to make these days count. And... I remember having trouble sleeping that night because it was on my mind so heavy. But after a while, days turned into weeks, weeks into months, and that six to nine months came and went, and my mother was still here. But not to say she didn't have her trouble. Going forward, I remember being in middle school and my mother having to stay in the hospital. Now, after she told us that, you know, gave the news to us, she had a bunch of stints and stays in the hospital. This time she went and she was in Bethesda Hospital. And I, I go visit. My aunt takes me over there to visit. And I'm just happy to see my mother. And I remember it was time to leave. And I remember how, how hard it was for me <clears throat> to leave. I remember sitting there and my mom had in the heat of the night on the TV in her room and I hated that show as a kid but just so I can stay a little longer I remember acting like I wanted to see that show 
but it was time to go. And I remember just tears just rolling down my face. And my mom didn't cry at all. And she was like, Michael, you got to go home. You got to get your sleep. You got to go to school. And I remember being so mad because she refused to cut off the mom role. Like in that moment, I wanted to hear, Mike is going to be all right. It's going to be cool. I'm going to be good. You know, not the go home, go to sleep. But I, I understood why she did it. So fast forward. High school. My mother had a few more stints and stays in the hospital, but every time I would go, I would walk in the room, she would have a TV on, we would be talking, she seemed good. Every time I walked into her 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 room whenever she was in the hospital, it was an it was never a you know, she was looking bad. She just looked like herself. Talking. Giving me, you know, instructions on what to do. You know, her normal self. But then we fast forward to my senior year of high school. The night I graduated high school. And I remember going in her room and she was sick. She was, she was doing bad. And I went into her bedroom and she was sitting on the side of her bed. And I said, Ma. She said, yeah. I said, you know you ain't got to come to my graduation. It's cool. I get it. And in true barb fashion, she said, you must be out of your damn mind. You think I miss your big nose ass graduating? And I gave a half-hearted laugh, but I wanted to cry so bad. I walked out, I went in my room, and I just sat down. <laughs> and we went to my graduation at Music Hall. And my classmates and friends and all that had no idea what I was dealing with that night. What was so heavy on me that night. <laughs> and all my friends went out afterwards and everybody like, Mike, you, you going? And I'm like, nah. And I didn't. I didn't go out. I went home. I went home. And then I get to college. In my sophomore year of college, my mom and I, we talked a lot. And one day I called. And she said, Mikey. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I ain't doing well. 
I'm like, well, shit, I'm on my way home. She's like, no. I was like, so what's up? She's like, I went to the doctor and they want to do surgery. And I'm like, okay. And she was like, the sarcoidosis has affected my lungs, which I knew that. And she was like, my heart and my vision. And at the time, my mother's vision was so bad. So bad. And eventually they end up taking my mom's right eye. And I remember sitting there. And I contemplated for a minute. I said, you know what? Fuck this. I, man, I'm about to quit school, move home. You know, I had had it in my mind. She said, they want to do surgery and they're going to do it at University Hospital. I'll let you know the exact date. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, but what I need you to keep doing is focus on school. And it took me back to that day at the hospital that made me so upset when I'm like, Man, fuck school. That's what I'm thinking. Fuck school. I don't need, you know, that right now. And so she calls me and she tells me today that they're going to do the surgery. I say, okay, mom, I'll be there. The day comes, they do the surgery. I drive down from Dayton, Ohio, where I'm in school and go to Christ Hospital. Family's there. We have family up from Alabama. They're there. Sitting in the waiting room off by myself. I'm just sitting there. My mother is heavy on my brain, of course. And it was a long surgery. And they finally come down. They say she's out of surgery. She's doing well. You know, we'll let you know when y'all can go back and see her. I said, all right, cool. Sitting there. And after the longest wait, I mean, this wait was so long. They finally come tell us. So, of course, myself, my brother, and my sister are going to be the first ones to go back and see her. Every time I'd seen my mother in the hospital, every time I walked in the room, she was cool. Laughing, talking, hee-hee, watching TV, all that. But this time was different. Walked in the room. And I'll never forget what I had on that day. I had on a pair of jeans. I had a cream and black button-down shirt, and I had a cream wool sweater that I got from the store called Bridges in Fairfield Commons Mall. And I remember it so much because when I walked in the room and saw my mother laying there with all these things connected to her, tubes and wires and cords and all this stuff, I was so shocked that I couldn't look at her all I could do was look down at my clothes like look down at the ground because I wasn't going to be able to take looking at her late look at her later like that with all this stuff connected to her because before then every time I walked in the, in the hospital room where she was in it she was up talking so that was just for some reason in my mind that's what was going on that was what I would see but not this time and all I could do was look down. And my eyes were full of water. And I'm like, oh my God. I wasn't expecting that. 
Wasn't expecting that. But eventually, she got better. She got better. And then, to get us where we're going today, my mother goes to the doctor. She come home, comes home from the doctor, and this is years later. This is 2000, this is late 2008. No, I take that back. This is early 2009. She comes home from the doctor. She says, Mikey. I say, yes, ma'am, because I'm over her house visiting at this time. She says, um, you know, I'm not doing well. I say, okay. She says they want to do a surgery, but they're not sure that I'm strong enough to take the surgery and, and come through. I said, okay. She said, but I think I'm gonna go through with it anyway. I said, okay. I said, you sure? It was the first time I'd ever heard uncertainty. And she was like, hell, I don't know. I said, okay, well, just think about it. She said, okay. The next day, my mother loved my mother loved drinking coffee, right? The next day I'm over at her house visiting. At the time I had an English Mastiff dog named Hercules. Hercules was a big ass dog. When my mother first met Hercules, she didn't care for Hercules. But the more she got to being around Hercules, Hercules loved my mother. He would protect my mother at all costs. When she would be around him, he lay on her feet, like lay at her feet. You couldn't walk towards her. You couldn't walk near her. You couldn't be by her. This day, I'm over there. She's making coffee. We sitting down at the dining room table. Hercules walking through, sitting down at her feet. She was rubbing Hercules. She's talking. <laughs> she says, I'm going to go through with it. I say, okay, all right. But in the back of my mind, I was like, eh, I don't know. So eventually she tells me the date that they're going to do it. I say, all right. She says, I have to be at the hospital super early in the morning, like 4.35 o'clock. I say, okay. So I said, I'll spend the night at your house, get up and I'll drop you off. She says, okay. That day comes. I spend the night. That Friday morning comes. Get up. Shower. She gets in the car. We're driving over there. She's just as fine. She's talking just her normal self. I'm so sleepy. That I say to myself, hey. I'm going to drop you off, go home, shower, get straight, cleaned up, all that. And then I'll be back. So I get to the hospital. We have a lot of friends and family there already. I drop her off, give her a hug. She goes in. I go home. I shower. And I come back. 
the surgery goes, you know, goes off well without a hitch. Don't get to see her that day. Saturday, the next day. She's still recovering down a little bit, you know. She's had major surgery. Go over there, check on her. Don't don't get to talk to her really. Just, you know, she's sleeping. I leave. Sunday morning. I'm at my mom's house and I'm about to go over to the hospital. I get a call from my uncle Paris. He says, Mikey. He said, what you doing? I said, oh, about to put my shoes on. I'm headed over there. He says, you need to get here now. I'm like, huh? He says, something's happened. You need to get here now. I say, okay. Put on my shoes. I'm floating. I'm driving so fast. And I get there. I say, what happened? They say, your mom stopped breathing. They had to resuscitate her. And that was a long time she went without oxygen to her brain. And she's in a coma. And I'm like, what? So I'm like, okay, all right, I got you. I go in to see my mom finally. Eyes closed. Of course, she's in a coma. She can't talk. She can't move. None of that. Y'all know what a coma is. So I'm like, God. I'm like, damn. Nothing. She's in a coma for a while. I don't mean like a few hours. I mean like a while. But every day I'm going over there. I'm sitting there just sitting. Nothing. I can't I can't make sense of everything and so one day I'm over there my son has been born at this time my son Hart has been born at this time well no I take that back I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry he hadn't been born I'm jumping ahead he hadn't been born yet my girlfriend who is now my wife was pregnant with him at the time she, she flies up from Houston. She comes over to the hospital. She's in the room. And I put my mom's hand. She's still in a coma. I put my mom's hand on my girlfriend's stomach. Who at the time is pregnant with my son, Hart. And my mom's eyes blink. Like, the eyes move. And I'm like, you see that? She was like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm like, damn, I knew I wasn't tripping. So I tell my brother, I'm like, man, mama, eyes blink. He's like, for real? I'm like, yeah. A couple days later, sitting in my mom's room at the hospital. And I'm holding her hand. And I remember the first time I recited Al-Fatiha prayer to my mother and how happy she was. She was like, you know how to say all that stuff? And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And so I sat there and I was holding my mom's hand 
and I started reciting Al-Fatiha. Alhamdulillah, you know, I'm going through it, right? And as I'm going through and reciting the prayer, and I look and my mom's eyes blink again, and I'm like, man, I know she gonna come out of this. Eventually she did. She came out and when she could talk, cause it was like, she won't be able to talk when she comes out is what they told us. When she came out, she could talk, but it wasn't like how you all hear me now. It was like, like Michael, like it was like that. And I was like, oh my. And at that point I was like, I'll take that. I don't give a shit about nothing else. And she was doing well. And then after a while, she wasn't doing well. And then I start having this struggle within me because I knew I was going to be moving down to Houston, but I didn't want to leave my mom yet. And at this time, you know, moving forward, my son had been born and I'm like, I need to be with my son, but I can't leave my mother and my wife, girlfriend at the time. Um, she understood. There was never no, you need to get down. It wasn't never no shit like that. So then I made up my mind. One day I'm sitting there and I said, you know what? I'm moving to Houston. My son at the time was about three or four months old. He was in Cincinnati with me for the week. And I took him over to see my mom took him in the room I sat him on the bed mm. I sat him on the bed Because at the time, she couldn't really move her hands and stuff like that. I put her hand on his hand. And at the, at the time, my son, oh, he cried a lot. He was a baby. That's what they do. And he just looked. The connection between my mother and son. That day, the connection between those two was so, so evident. And it was almost like my mom telling my son, look out for my son. And 
I'll never forget that. And I remember having a talk with my mom that day. And she couldn't talk. She was bad. She was bad off. And I had a talk. with my mom that day. And I didn't beat around the bush. I didn't tiptoe around it. I didn't sugarcoat it. I just said, Mom, I'm leaving and I'm moving to Houston. I'm gonna be all right. And I'm going to do the right thing. And the whole time I was talking, she never looked. Her eyes never went toward me. They stayed fixated on my son. The connection that day between those two unlike anything I'd ever seen in my life. I got up. I left. And on November 1st, I moved to Houston, Texas. November 1st I was here but my mind was back home and on November 13th 12 days later that night Manny Pacquiao had a fight in Dallas and I was going to watch it but I didn't watch it that night, laid in the bed, me and my now wife, which usually we would keep the TV on, but that night we turned the TV off and we're just laying there. And it's late. And my phone rings. And I see as my brother called my brother. My brother and I talk every day. He calls me and I'm like, uh, it's late. I'll call him tomorrow. And me, me and my wife, talking a little bit but not much laying in the bed in the dark he calls me back I'm like man I'll call him tomorrow cause I'm thinking all he wants to talk about is the fight then my sister calls me and I'm like oh shit I'm like no I ain't gonna answer and then my brother calls me back and I answer the phone I'm like hello And my brother says, Mike. And I'm like, what's up, kid? And he doesn't say anything. And I'm like, what's up? He pauses. And he says, Mike. And I'm like, yeah, can you hear me? I'm here. He was like, Mike, mama died. And I went quiet. 
and I didn't say anything. And he was like, you straight? I'm like, I'm good. So he says, all right, I'm about to call Chris, which is our nephew. I'm like, all right. So I get off the phone and I'm just sitting there and I'm quiet. I'm not saying anything. I'm sitting up. My wife say, what's wrong? And I remember, I remember I said, like I let out like a half laugh, half exhale. I'm like, <laughs> and I turned and I looked, I said, my mother died. And she was like, no. I was like, yeah. But I wasn't crying. And she got up, walked around on my side of the bed. She's hugging me. I'm like, I'm good. So I get up. I go look at my son's room. He's still asleep. Living room's pitch black. I go sit on the couch and I'm sitting in the dark. I'm not crying. I'm just sitting there. And I'm thinking, maybe when I think back on it, I'm thinking I'm not crying because the shit ain't set in. So I'm just sitting there. And I'm like, shit. So I'm sitting there, didn't cry. Sunday comes. Messages start flooding in. Didn't cry. Monday comes. Nothing. Tuesday comes and my grandfather died. I'm like, shit. Still ain't cry. The funeral is Saturday. Fly home Friday morning. I haven't cried. Friday evening. At my aunt's house. And I'm looking at some old pictures. And I have my son sitting on my lap. My son at the time has just turned a year old. He a little chubby little dude sitting on my lap. I'm looking at pictures of my mom. And he takes his hands out. He puts his hands on one of the pictures. And that's when it comes. The tears come. Oh, they come. And I get up and leave trying to think what am I going to say at my mother's funeral tomorrow I'm at a hotel I don't know I mean you know what I'm saying I don't know what to say and I eventually found the words but Saturday morning comes and I'm at the hotel I'm getting dressed. I'm putting on this dark navy blue suit that my wife bought me that she wanted me to wear to my mom's funeral. And get my son dressed. And I'm turning on the TV. And on the TV that morning was an episode of In the Heat of the Night. And I'm like, hmm. 
Mm, mm, mm. It's coming full circle. Everything is coming full circle. And I'm sitting there getting my son dressed, thinking what the hell I'm going to say at my mom's funeral and all that. Get to the church. First faces I see at the church when I walk in. My brother Kev, my brother Mac, my brother DC. My brother Lil Kev and my nephew Chris. And I remember walking up to the front of the church, talking to them for a hot second, and I sit down. Everyone saying kind words. Everyone's telling their stories and, and, you know, some songs are being sang or sung. I don't know how you need to find the proper way to use that. But that's what it was. And we sent my mom home. I never went up to look at my mom in uh, the casket up front. I just didn't want to. I like to remember her how I remembered her. sent her home and I just I just remember that next day flying back home or flying back to Houston I should say which was my new home being on the plane and looking over at my wife and my son and you know they they've dozed off and I'm just sitting there and I can't sleep I'm thinking about her and I remember looking at the um the um what do you call that the obituary is that what it's called the program thing you get in the church and being like damn I never thought I would see this day never never And I looked down um, while I was on the plane. I always carried my beads with me, my prayer beads. And when my mom was in the hospital, I had even bought her a pair, even though my mom was not Muslim. I had bought a pair of beads that I would put on her when I was there, um, when I would recite Al-Fatiha, which I always recited Al-Fatiha, even though there are other prayers and things that could be, you know, recited. I just remember how happy she was that I knew Al-Fatiha. And so I looked down at my beads and for some crazy reason, I was like, damn, if I recite Al-Fatiha, maybe she'll come back. And I sat on that plane, and I remember just reciting Al-Fatiha. And I always started out, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, Rabbi Lalameen. 
arak mahen arahin malikiyau medin iyakna budu ayakna stein il dinasirat al mustaqim sirat aladina nam taralhin gairil maldubi arahin waladolin amin